Hello, this is Property Matters, a weekly catch-up on all matters property, supported by Fairview International Property Consultancy and auctionproperty.co.uk. And we're live every Sunday from 10am on YouTube, Facebook, LinkedIn and our website, propertymatterstv.co.uk. On the website, leave us a Google review if you would, and if you're on social media, please get involved in the conversation below. Um, our email address for our questions programmes, such as this one today, uh, is hello at propertymatterstv.co.uk. So if you've got a property-related question, get in touch and let us know, and we'll feature it in a future show. If you don't have time to watch the show in total, then you can watch us on the move or uh, listen to us on the move with our podcast, of course, every Monday following the Sunday show at 10 a.m. Just search Property Matters TV wherever you get your um, podcasts from. Finally, the show is broadcast across the week on Dilsey Radio as well. So we welcome listeners there. And we say Merry Christmas to Joe Joshi. Just uh, less than 24 hours to go now because it's Christmas Eve. Yes, um, um, thank you very much to all of our viewers and listeners throughout uh, 23. Um, and also to our contributors, Guy Charrison, Bob Singh, um, and Merry Christmas to you all. And of course, uh, we'll look forward to seeing you in 2024 for your contributions and additions. And of course, we always welcome some new other hosts which will be joining us in 23. Sorry, 24, Paul, on the basis that, um, you know, we've got surveyors and architects and so forth coming up, which I've been talking to, to, to have them join us so that we can try and give a, a wider view, not just my little input and wisdom, but perhaps get some other uh, professionals on board as well. So looking forward to having them on in 24 to add to us. But uh, before we, you know, progress to this program, just a, a quick thank you to all of you who uh, help us put this together and encourage us to, to do that and all your questions that come in and all the tests that Paul puts me to every week without fail. Um, <laughs> Which we're going to do because just because it's Christmas Eve doesn't mean we're not going to put you on the rack yeah. again. So here we go with uh, more questions for you today, Joe. Uh, we own our own home in Plymouth outright. We have no mortgage on it. Uh, next March, we plan to move to Manchester for work. We only have just brought our Plymouth home in May 2022. Our plan is to rent in Manchester for at least two years. At the moment, we've no plans to return or settle in Plymouth in the future. We bought the house because at the time of buying, we thought we could be here for five years, but then our work circumstances changed. Do you think it would be wise to rent out our home in Plymouth or take out a mortgage on it to fund our costs in Manchester and at the same time let it out? Our concern is that if we purely rent it out without taking out a mortgage, the monthly income after tax is not enough to cover the costs in Manchester fully. We would have to cover it out of our monthly income. I wonder what would be the best cost-saving way to approach this. What are your thoughts, Joe? Tricky one. Yes, uh, has lots of connotations in this question, really. Um, and it's all about personal circumstances. I mean, first of all, of course, to buy something outright was excellent. Um, you know, they, they obviously had the money to buy something in the first place. Obviously didn't bargain for this change of circumstances that have happened now. Um, and um, so it's the case of deciding to see what is right. Of course, the temptation is always there to keep what you've got um, and hopefully that it rents out and then that helps towards your rental property in Manchester. Um, but it may be probably prudent, maybe not time-wise, but, uh, but perhaps you know, if you can rent it for a couple of years and then perhaps move, that gives you two avenues. 
Uh, one is that it gives you a chance to get to know Manchester um, whilst you're renting, so you are not just rushing into buying something immediately. And it also gives you time to make sure that you get the better value for the property that you bought in the first place, because what you don't want to do is lose money on it. So it might be that the market will change and you'd get a better price um, and therefore more money to be able to spend on the property that you like um, and have liked the area around Manchester or wherever your new work and new life is going to be. So it is a, it is, it is a combination, so it's a balancing act. Um, but obviously, if the ideal situation happened, you'd probably sell one and buy one. Um, and, and then you'd have a bigger deposit and you wouldn't have the worry about it not being rented, void periods, um, you know, and, and not coming in, not in, no income coming in and so forth. So um, it really is a personal circumstance question as to what your personal circumstances allow you to do. But from my point of view, I would probably advise at the moment that uh, rent it for a couple of years and rent one for a couple of years. So you have the best of both. One, better price for yours long term. And secondly, a better area perhaps than where you rent. Because you might find that once you live in Manchester and where you rent it is, is not where you end up buying. You might buy in another area, which may be a bit more expensive or perhaps even cheaper. Of course, the other thing to consider with this is that if you're living in Manchester and you've got a, a rental home in Plymouth, it's not necessarily always going to be easy to sort out any problems with your rental because you've got a hell of a journey from Manchester to Plymouth, haven't you? And if you have a letting agent look after it for you, you're going to get even less return and therefore not going to cover your mortgage in, in Manchester. Yes, and I mean, of course, the distance is, is a real killer in property because you could end up spending... Um, you know, half that time just in travel and to achieve almost nothing to a large extent. So you are going to be reliant on, a, on an agent or a letting agent in that area that's going to help you achieve that goal. But what I'm saying is that, you know, it may be a pain worth taking for a couple of years in order to make sure that you make the right educated decision as opposed to a rush decision to saying, well, actually, I'll sell it now, maybe not get as much for it as you did because the market is... Uh, in the current condition and then maybe if you decided to buy somewhere straight away Manchester it may not be the area that you want to be in so I think if you can rent it but certainly obviously it's it's not going to be a cheap move and also all the other related costs you know sale cost and then purchase costs so you've got to pay you know take all of that into consideration um, and I think uh, my again I would stand by my 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 thoughts are that you know balance it over a couple of years and then make a decision mm. and 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 possibly just sell up in Plymouth and then look to to buy when you've got the time and the money to do so in Manchester yeah absolutely and also yeah. the right place in Manchester that's that's the key thing because if you rush them then you might find that you've actually bought something that you don't were in an area where you don't really want to be in it doesn't work so you have the window of opportunity here to um, make sure that you do the right thing. Um, I mean, the good thing is you own the property, so it's not not a burden. Mm. The fact is that if you are getting that perhaps slightly lesser on rent, it just means that you've got to find that in Manchester. But at the same time, if you've only recently bought the property and now decide to sell it in the current climate, you may not achieve what you bought it for. Um, and so therefore, the, the decision will be wiser to just wait a bit longer. Let's move on to our second question. I'm selling my parents' homes in home in the Netherlands after my brother and I inherited it. 
we have to pay inheritance tax in the Netherlands, but if I bring the remaining funds across to the UK as a deposit for my first property, do I have to pay tax again? Uh, we will hopefully be getting uh, more than 250,000 for the property, but realistically, probably less than 350. Um, I wanted to keep uh, some for a small place in the Netherlands and get a mortgage there, but Dutch banks won't deal with anyone earning in sterling for now until the bilateral arrangements have been ironed out. If I keep it in, saving, in a savings account in the Netherlands, I will continue to pay tax each year. So what's our suggestions there, Joe? Interesting one. Mm. Um, yeah, it's very interesting. Not one I've, I've come across, but I, I'm just going to be lateral in my, my thought on this. That it is going to be that um, you've got to think about, we're, first of all, we're not tax advisors, so you do need to take guidance from someone who is qualified to give you tax advice. But from the face of it, the chances are that if you paid something for um, your taxes in the Netherlands, you are not likely to have to perhaps consider paying any if uh, or, or maybe just a small amount in the UK, depending on what it is. You're certainly not going to get away from things like stamp duty, etc. Now, that might be another area that you've got to think about, because, you know, if you are looking to buy something back in um, Netherlands um, for, with the balance of your money or, or not, then it might be that you have to sort of decide which one is the first to do. So if you sold your parents' house, got your money, brought it over, um, you need to just take advice, taxation advice, as to what is the correct way to perhaps uh, progress your next move um, in order to make sure that you make the best savings um, logistically from tax point. Uh, since 1980, the UK has had a double taxation agreement with the Netherlands, which uh, prevents you having to pay inheritance tax twice. So uh, they won't need to pay inheritance tax on, the, uh, on, on, on arriving back in the UK. But also the other thing, of course, is if they buy their UK property first, um, then they wouldn't face, uh, they would face a higher rate of stamp duty in the UK, which is the standard rate of 3%. So SDLT is charged in England and Northern Wales, uh, Northern Ireland rather, different land taxes with different thresholds and rates apply in Scotland and Wales, of course. Uh, a higher rate of tax is charged in the UK if you're buying a second property, irrespective of where your first property is located. So yeah, so basically if they buy the Netherlands one first, they'll pay more stamp duty on the UK home because they uh, will be buying a second home essentially. Yes, that's that's the one I was trying to allude to. That basically they need to take the advice of what is the first correct step for them. If they are going to buy something back in the Netherlands, then they need to perhaps make that purchase before, so that that uh, sorry uh, after um, after buying something in the UK. As you rightly say. They will be liable for, um, you know, a higher stamp duty as a buy-to-let stamp duty, as opposed to an ownership. Um, the other thing that they may consider doing, of course, is is purchasing the assets, certainly the one in Netherlands, uh, in a limited company or a company in a corporate environment, which takes them away from a personal circumstance, and that also could happen in the UK. They could buy a property in a in a company in uh, a base as a as a limited company, and that may not have the effect. But like I said at the outset, we're not tax advisors, and I, we we can certainly guide you and direct you if if the question was raised again. For those that as we have um, tax advisors available, we we can refer you to, but it's not something that we do. Um, but it's a good question. Thank you very much for bringing it. In. 
Yeah, no, it's, it's interesting. And, and, and with all of these things, getting a little bit of advice, a few hundred pounds of advice can save you tens of thousands when you find out, you know, six years down the line when there's an investigation that you've got all, all of this and, of course, all the interest that will have accrued without you being aware of it. That's uh, um, um, certainly what can happen to certain people. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I think legal advice, tax advice is, is paramount. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, next Next one then. I'm in the process of buying a property and while making an offer via the seller's estate agents, I specifically mentioned in the email that I need a range cooker and that it was part of my offer. After a day or two, my offer was accepted by the seller. Now, while doing the conveyance process and looking at the fixtures and fittings form that the seller has filled in, it says that the range cooker is not included. When I checked with him again via my solicitor, the seller said that he had no idea that the range cooker was part of my offer and he won't leave it. I feel cheated because of this miscommunication from the property agent to the seller and I've already spent a good amount of money on surveys and solicitors' charges. What are my rights here and how should I approach this? Interesting question. I can't believe it's the first time it's happened. Uh, I'm sure it happens a lot. I mean, the thing is that, uh, first of all, if the details of the agent's particulars states that the range cooker is part of that and a good agent would have had those particulars signed off by the um, seller in the first place, um, then, of course, the onus falls back on the seller to confirm that they did agree in the sales particulars that is what the representation was and so if they've chosen to change that mind but it, the chances in this case is that the agent has probably marketed this um, probably not had the, cons uh, the consent from the seller because obviously agents were eager to to get on the market and, and get it get it sold and there is a slip up of a situation where the seller will say well actually i never signed it and authorized it the agent has probably advertised it and therefore will be uh, under misdescription and so the buyer potentially potentially could either if they have got it signed off with the agent uh, sorry with the seller then go back to the seller and say look you know this particulars were signed by you confirmed by you and here's your signature and date saying that if everything that we've written about your property is deemed to be correct um, so therefore, we have to sell this range within the sale price of the of the agreed figure. If that isn't the case and they haven't got it signed off, then the, the problem is that it will probably fall on the agent who has uh, chosen to go to the market without getting the consent from the uh, seller. And so therefore, may be liable or the, or the buyer could take the agent to task and make sure that they pay for a range cooker, which I'm sure they won't be too delighted considering you know the fee that they learn is probably going to now end up paying for a, a, a range cooker out of it um, so those are probably the two avenues that I can see immediately that may or may not be available one is an exit and out for the agent if they did their job correct then the seller will have no choice but to um, include that range because they accepted that in the in the details but I'm probably thinking the agent didn't do that. And if he didn't do that, then the agent's probably going to be liable. It's quite surprising uh, that there's no legal rules over what can be left in the property and what should be removed. Um, apparently, there's nothing uh, that, uh, that, that binds them. The only thing, of course, in the conveyancing progress is that it processes that TA10 form. 
where yeah. you actually specify, and that's the first time that actually you know you put on record officially in writing what you're going to leave and what you're not. Um, but I suppose the, the interesting thing is also if you look at how much it costs to get rid of an aga from a property, it's, it, the minimum that you can find apparently is six hundred pounds. So the fee that the seller's going to have to pay to remove that is £600. So maybe when they find out how expensive it is to move an Arga or a range cooker, then uh, they might want to leave it there after all. But uh, I, I suppose the thing you could do, of course, is to go back and say, well, look, you know, I made my offer on the basis of a range cooker and uh, it's going to cost me £10,000 or thereabouts to buy a new one. So I'm going to make my offer 10000 less for the property. Well, that's exactly what will happen and the negotiations will have taken place um, and the best outcome would have come out of that and that chances are that the seller will probably have to concede because as you rightly say the cost of removing it um, and then whether it's going to go to wherever they're going to move to or somebody's going to buy it and a second-hand range is probably not going to be worth ten thousand pounds it's probably worth a couple of thousand pounds if that so the question really is going to be um, what is the, the right thing? But it's an interesting question to bring to, to, to us on the basis that it just goes to show that little things can make all the difference. And when in the early days of estate agents, when I was in there, we were always struggling to get this, this misdescription and the onus on the property uh, details were always not signed off. But we constantly used to argue about carpets, curtains, um, fixtures and fittings, you know, bathroom fittings, light fittings. I, I cl clearly recall a particular property that I sold. Um, and at the end of the day, all said and done, we argued about a chandelier in the staircase, which really probably wasn't worth the money that the, the seller wanted. And it was probably worth le even less because the buyer would have probably, he just didn't want to hold it in the, in the, in the, in the ceiling but he thought well i'll just keep that it was negotiated and eventually the seller had to concede and say we'll keep it because the buyer turned around and said well if i don't have that chandelier either you replace it make good or i'm going to be out you know i'm not going to buy it so the cost of the chandelier and the replacement was probably um much higher than just leaving it so ultimately he had to leave it uh, so it's, it is about um just negotiating your position the best you can also goes to prove that the conveyancing progress is just so, process is just so antiquated, isn't it? I mean, surely it wouldn't be beyond the realms of possibility to have all of this data uh, available on Rightmove or Zoopla as downloadable PDFs of what's going to be in there, you know, right from the outset. So there's no argument. The problem with that is, and I agree, I mean, under auction terms and conditions, we always have the legal pack with all that information up front. So we know what we're selling. And I think that should be the policy that should be adapted um, for ordinary private treaty sales. But I think the reason why they don't do that is, is the change of mind. I might go to a house, that's what the customer says, I might move to a house that needs, you know, um, an Arga or a, or a range cooker. And so um, I'll take the one I've got because I know it, you know. Um, on the other hand, I might go to a house, it doesn't, so I'll change my mind. So that's why they don't do it. But the convincing system is so archaic that it's all after the event. So you think as an agent, you've done a deal, it's closed shop and it's ready to go. And then all of a sudden you find that actually you've still got some work to do. And that means that basically the sale may not actually happen. 
Let's move on to our penultimate question. My wife and I uh, have a buy-to-let property. We would like to add onto this mortgage our children. They are 26 and 31 years of age. Is it possible? If not, how can we transfer this property into the names, into their names, without heavy fees, or rather, what would be the best way to transfer this property onto, onto into their names? Uh, this used to be our home, and it's where both our children grew up. So the house is of sentimental value to them. Interesting. Hmm. Two things probably come to mind there. First of all, by adding the children to the property, um, they are going to reduce their chance of them buying their first time home um, separately on their own. And their circumstances might be that they want to go elsewhere. Um, and so, again, this, the, the problem with taxing may come into it because the home that they may buy next on their own may not be the first time home because they're already a part of a first home. Um, and therefore they will end up paying a higher stamp duty, higher taxation and higher rates in borrowing. Um, the second part, of course, is from an inheritance point of view, um, if anything was to happen to the parents and they were added at, at an early stage, then there's likelihood that they could make some savings on the inheritance tax so there's no capital gains or, or CGT or, or whatever you know other tax is made that may apply um, but in this situation I would probably um, advise that um, it's probably better to keep it keep the kids away let them get on with their thing um, at least they can buy on a first time buyer basis of their own property wherever they're going to be and um, maybe put the property into a trust of some sort so that they get the benefit um, when the parents move on or pass away. Um, and I think, again, I would say that it's an advice that you need to take advice from someone who deals with trusts um, and, of course, financial advice and taxation advice. Yeah, of course, just, I mean, leave it in the will would be the best way, I think. And, um, um, you know, especially if you make a gift of it and leave it, you know, if you, if you survive the seven years that uh, it requires, then uh, that might be a way around it. The other, there is another issue, of course, is that the mortgage lender might not wish to or want to uh, have the children added. They might find a problem with that. Well, again, each person is down to having their own personal circumstances checked. It's always subject to status, as they say. Um, and if their status doesn't allow them to be part of that, then that will jeopardize um, any chance of them doing something separate, let alone be part of the existing mortgage. Um, on the other hand, the lender might find that they, you know, um, if there's a small mortgage, they probably won't care. But if it's a 95% mortgage, then they've got to account for the reasons why they might actually have to add other people. But I, I think that, you know, you can explore those, but I, I've certainly let the children go and buy their own home first. And maybe once they've bought their own home as a first time buyer, got their full benefits, they could then be back in and revisited and be added to the existing mortgage or to a trust that they can create. And of course, if for any reason the parents can't pay the mortgage, then they're going to be liable for the full debt, aren't they, as well, which I'm sure they wouldn't be happy about. Yes, naturally. You know, if there's four, four people on it, they're all liable for it. You know, uh, it's, it's a fair and square equal contribution as far as um, the mortgage lender is concerned. And if two people can't afford it, then the other two got to find, find the money to afford it. But what I'm saying is that they, for the first time buyers of the oh. children, for them to actually turn around and say, well, I'm going to lose my opportunity to 
buying my own home in this case, I would certainly encourage that they do that first before considering anything as part of the existing parent family home. Here's our final question for you on this Christmas Eve. I have a tenant in common mortgage with my ex-husband on our former marital home that has been that he's been living in. He is now in a position to buy me out of the property and will either continue to pay the small mortgage or pay it off in full. We have agreed the price and have started the process of contacting the mortgage lender and so on. But I was wondering whether this sale would have any tax implications for me. You've got the tax thing on, on these questions for me today, Paul, I can tell. Um, and the, <laughs> an <laughs> the answer again is going to be probably uh, tax advice is important. But I think my answer on that from my general knowledge is that it was your uh, uh, home, both of you, husband and wife, um, and, and really there should be no tax liability at all um, other than your personal income tax. Uh, there should be no tax liability on the property because that's your own um, home or matrimonial home you have already paid your taxes and there is no due for whatever gains the fact that your circumstances changed and you you created this tendency to be able to make sure that you can still stay there and cover it uh, but you still both jointly own the property there should be no um, capital gains or any other tax but again i would put the caveat on by saying we will need to advise you that you take tax advice for that Yes, because there is a PRR, isn't there? Private residence relief or primary residence relief, um, uh, which allows you to have a marital home and it not be subject to CGT when you sell. That's correct, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, that's what I'm saying, that if you've got a home that is yours from day one, then it shouldn't have any CGT on it because it mm. has been your own home. But the fact that you know one is living and the other one is moved out, there may be some, some area or some gray area but in my opinion, I don't think they should be. Interesting. Um, yeah, as always, worth uh, checking that one out with the um, with the relevant uh, experts in that field, an accountant or someone of that nature, or solicitor would probably be able to help with that, I guess. Well, Joe, that's very helpful, and um, and we certainly put you through the mill there, haven't we, with some uh, <laughs> some challenging questions. Um, yeah, thanks for that on the Christmas Eve as well. <laughs> yeah, no, I think I think we better let you go for a little bit of eggnog, shall we? And um... I, yeah, I think so. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, we wish everybody a Merry Christmas, of course, and we will be back for a New Year's Eve show on uh, the 31st of December, Sunday at 10am, as always. Uh, best wishes and uh, season's greetings from Property Matters.